Amen. I've really appreciated this summer uh, in this series we've been doing that our our worship team has been taking songs like you just heard and turning them into prayers to really teach us that our souls are crying out to the Lord constantly and that there are prayers everywhere and teaching us how to pray. And today is the last Sunday in this series um, where we're kind of studying and trying to understand the questions that God asked in Scripture. And today we're talking about something that uh, we've got to set a few ground rules before we talk about it. Because what we're talking about is self-righteousness today. And uh, for me to be talking about self-righteousness, there, there may be this appearance that I'm talking like somebody who has discovered the secret not to be self-righteous. And I'm talking down to you guys. So the very fact that I might sound like I'm not self-righteous means I am self-righteous. In fact, there's no way to talk about this without appearing to be self-righteous. So I'm just going to confess to you, I'm self-righteous, okay? And I want you to confess with me that you're self-righteous too. And if you go, I'm not self-righteous, it's because you feel so right in yourself that you're so rich in self-righteousness that you're blind to your own self-righteousness. Because that's the nature of self-righteousness. I'm blind to it. I feel so right in my position, so right in myself, that I'm blind to the fact that I may not be right. So can we confess we're all self-righteous? Those of you in the back say, I'm not so sure. And then we're going to talk about how anger plays a role in understanding self-righteousness. But I have to give another, we have to agree to something else. Some of you your family tradition, you grew up in a home where anger was never allowed, to where the emotion of anger was considered a bad emotion and it was discounted. And so it's going to be hard for you because you don't believe that you have the emotion of anger because you've either suffocated it or you've buried it. Peter Scazzaro, who wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality that has affected a lot of things that we do here at Midtown, he says that... Um, Emotions never die, they're just buried alive. And I want to say that there is not a person in this room that's not human. And if you're human, you get angry. Whether you want to admit it or not, whether you want to call it by another name or not, I'm just frustrated. You're angry. And so what I want us to admit, one, we're all self-righteous, and two, we all get angry. Can you all agree to that? Are you all angry about that? Okay, some of you are. So today we're, we're going back to the Old Testament. Uh, God seemed to ask a lot of questions back then. And we're going to be studying the question that God asked Jonah. Now, you may know this story, Jonah and the whale. What an outrageous tale. And uh, there's more to this story than this guy being swallowed by this giant sea monster uh, and then being vomited up on the shores of Nineveh. So, uh, Rachel, are you going to come and read for me this morning? She's in Jonah chapter 4. This is a really small book. Uh, it's the oldest book we have in Scripture. And she's going to be reading the last chapter. So this is Jonah chapter 4. Uh, a little bitty small book. If you get to Psalms, keep going right. Uh, keep going past Jeremiah, all the other minor prophets. And right there in the middle of them, you're going to find Jonah. Okay.
end of book. Lord, give us wisdom about this. Uh, we need it. And I pray that uh, you would be gentle with us because we are more self-righteous than we realize. In Christ's name, amen. So I just want you to grasp what's going on here. Jonah has gone up on the hill overlooking the city of Nineveh. He is so angry that he wants to die. I mean, he is ticked off. And he builds a shelter to get in out from underneath the, the sun. And he is so angry, he can't even build a good shelter. Like, have you ever been that angry where you're trying to do something and you just can't do it, you know? And you're just destroying everything you touch. So he built this shelter, but it didn't work. So God caused a vine to grow up. And so uh, anger's bad, right? Because God's trying to get rid of all of Jonah's anger. But look what God does. He sends this vine to come up and he comforts him. And then he sends a worm to come and eat the vine, and then the vine dies. And Jonah doesn't get angry. Jonah gets angrier. And then God doesn't stop there. He sends a scorching east wind right into the face of Jonah. It's almost like what God's trying to do is going, hey, Jonah, you're not angry enough. He's kind of poking the bear. What's going on here? Okay, before we take that apart. Guys, anger is a good emotion. It's one of the gifts that God has given us. It's one of the things that makes us feel fully human. Because anger is that emotion inside of us that gets us to our feet. Anger is that emotion that moves us to action. Anger is that emotion that awakens us to fight for something. To be fully alive. And it's true, many of us don't understand anger that way because We've taken all of God's gifts and we've twisted them and made them something they weren't intended for. I mean, have you ever done that for food? Have you ever misused food? Never. Am I the only one that eats ice cream at midnight? <laughs> no. <laughs> or overeats or stuffs my face to comfort myself? Or do we, ever, do we ever misuse work? Work is such a beautiful gift from God. But isn't it crazy how we turn holy callings into a job? And we assess our calling in life by how much money we make. Yeah, we misuse that. Or money. Have you ever misused money? What a great gift from God. What a beautiful thing God does to give resources to the body of Christ. But we misuse that all the time. Or how about sex? Have you ever misused the beautiful gift of sex? Never. <laughs> Y'all got really quiet about that one. Wow. <laughs> oh, God. Um, Anger's the same way. It's a gift from God. But why was Jonah so angry? Well, let's go back to the beginning. If you'll turn to the first chapter of the book, it says in the very first verse, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up against me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. So God comes to Jonah and says, hey, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh. I need you to preach to them because they are a wicked city. And Jonah says, no, thank you. In fact, no, thank you. I'm not doing it. And he jumps on a boat, and Tarshish is in the complete opposite direction of Nineveh. He was trying to get as far away from Nineveh as he could possibly go. Why? Well, historically, if we go back, we begin to understand that, that Jonah was a prophet of Israel. He was a prophet, a part of God's chosen people. Nineveh was a part of the Assyrian kingdom. And at that time, the Assyrian kingdom were, they were the definition of the bad guys. 
Their armies, their forces were completely against the nation of Israel. In fact, Israel had suffered unbelievable destruction and death and persecution and imprisonment and enslavement by the nation of Israel. I mean, by the Assyrian kingdom. And so you can see where Jonah is going, I'm not going to that place because everybody that's a part of that kingdom, I hate them. And then if we jump back to chapter 4, listen to what Jonah says. Isn't this why I said, Lord, when I was still at home? Wasn't this what I said to you back when I was at home before I jumped on a boat to run away from you? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, that you're slow to anger, that you're abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than live. What Jonah is saying is, Lord, I knew you were calling me to Nineveh to preach so that you could pour your grace down on that nation. I would rather die than see you pour your grace down on them. I would rather for you to put me to death. I don't want to be any part of your mercy and your grace to the people that I hate. Hmm. You know, we're a lot like Jonah because Jonah was really self-righteous. He really was believing that he deserved the grace of God, but the Ninevites didn't. And we're a lot like Jonah in the fact that we find ourselves fighting for a lot of the wrong things, and our anger gets stirred to fight, but we're fighting for the wrong things. I was reading Dan Allender, who is a clinical psychologist, and he was talking about anger, and he says, I get angry when anything or anyone gets between me and my satisfaction or anyone or anything gets between me and my paradise, or anyone or anything gets between me and Eden, returning to Eden. He said it could be as simple as I'm walking up to a water fountain because I realize how thirsty I am, and I realize that that water fountain is going to satisfy my thirst, and as I'm walking up, somebody cuts in front of me, and I get angry because they're in the way of me and my satisfaction. And my anger grows when they stand there at the water fountain and they start talking to Betty. Betty! Hey, and they prolong my desires to be fulfilled. And then when they drink for a really, really, really long time, my anger gets stirred even more because they are standing between me and my satisfaction, between me and my paradise, between me and my Eden. We were flying last weekend, and uh, we had to go to Denver. Didn't have to go, uh, but uh, went to go marry my nephew. And we were in Chicago, and it was about 8 o'clock at night. We were about to catch the flight to Denver. Um, and we get off the plane, you know, and we're... Actually, I was freezing to death on the plane. And I would have been paid... I would have paid anything for a sweatshirt in the Chicago airport. And so we come back to the ticket counter, and they announced that our flight to Denver had been canceled. I know. Uh, yeah? And there were hundreds of people that were all waiting to board the plane... And as soon as the representative of Southwest Airlines, who was about to die, said, sorry folks, the flight to Denver has been canceled, uh, there was a woman behind us who began to scream. No, no, I'm serious. And she, it just wasn't a, ah, like, like a groan. No, no, no. This was, this was a scream at the person talking. And she's saying, Liar! 
I have a friend that's at the airport in Denver, and the weather is perfect. You're lying to us. And I thought, oh, it's a giant conspiracy. <laughs> I mean, the crowd got worked up. They were angry. They felt that there was an injustice that was happening because the airlines was keeping them from their satisfaction. And Jonah, his anger was revealing his self-righteousness because he was really saying to God, I deserve your grace. Now, he tends to forget that just a chapter later or earlier, he was in the belly of a fish because he was running away from God, and then the fish vomited him up on the beach. So he was fish vomit just like 24 hours earlier, but he's going, I deserve your grace, but they don't. And this is really, self-righteousness is a dangerous disease because when we have it, we don't know that we have it. We feel so right. I mean, think about it. We have this thing inside of us that loves to see other people get what they deserve. We love that. We were in traffic once, and this car flew by me. I bet they were going 100 miles an hour. And as they, I was getting out of their way, but as they flew past me, he gave me a wave, but it was like that one-finger wave, you know? I, wasn't that, all right? That's a two-finger wave, all right? He, he gave me that one-finger wave. As he's coming out, oh, oh. You know, the speed limit was 70. I was going 80, all right? So I was breaking the speed limit too, but he was really breaking the speed limit. And on top of that, he was cursing me for not breaking it at the degree that he was breaking it and getting in his way. And about five miles down the road, he was pulled over. A police officer had pulled him over. Yes, somebody just said, yes. I was like, yes, as we were going about honking, uh, uh, yeah. We love that, don't we? We love it when lazy workers at the office get fired. They deserve that. We love it when our spouse stays up too late, they drink a little bit too much, and we tell them, you should go to bed, you shouldn't have a second glass of wine, and then when they wake up the next morning and their head hurts and they're dragging, we love going, told you so. You deserve what you've got. We love that kind of stuff. We love it so much we have endless grace for other people's shortcomings. I didn't say that right. Because it's not true. I have endless grace for my own shortcomings. But I have limited grace for yours. A couple of years ago, I was in Renee's car, and I looked down, and the gas needle was on E. And I was like, Renee, what are you doing? Like, you should never let that needle get to E. Even when it's quarter to half tank, go fill it up. Like, we can afford that. Go get gas. I never think about it. She goes, I hate to stop and get gas. I just hate it. And a week later, she called me. She goes, I ran out of gas. And I'm driving over there, and I feel so self-righteous, you know, because I told you. And if I'm telling you to do something, you should do it, because I'm your husband. <laughs> oh, that's so dark, isn't it? I, I am promising you this happened. Three days later, guess what happened? I ran out of gas. <laughs> and here's what's so funny. Ha ha, is that I laughed about me running out of gas. I was angry about her running out of gas. Because I have endless grace and justification for my shortcomings. I have no grace and no justification for your shortcomings. That's called self-righteousness. I mean, think about it. Don't you feel so self-justified in your positions? 
I mean, we live in a culture right now where everybody is squaring off and everybody is defending their position because it's so defendable. No one's listening anymore. Everybody's just throwing stones and going, we're right, we're right, we're right, whether it's mask or no mask, whether it's you're a Democrat or whether you're a Republican. We love to judge other people. And we've got countless ways to judge other people. We judge people on their sexuality. We judge people on their addictions. We judge people on their parenting. Have you ever judged another parent on their parenting? This is where everybody goes, yes, I have. We see a kid act up, and what do we say? My kid doesn't do that. We judge each other on relational skills. We judge each other on driving skills. We judge each other on poverty and wealth. If we're in a position of wealth, we have such self-righteous judgment on those that just can't pull themselves up by their bootstraps and get better. Because we love to judge other people in the areas that we feel so good about ourselves in. Have you ever made a commitment to eat clean? and like you're 10 days into it, don't you feel a self-righteous judgment when you walk past a place where people are not eating clean? Or when you're working out every day and you're into it for like a month and your judgment for people that don't work out? Or like if you're in school and you're such a great student because you stay up late night studying while everybody else is partying, don't you look down on them? Or you party and you look down on those who study? See, what you, what you are angry about often shows your self-righteousness. A good friend of mine, who's a musician, we were talking after one of the Emmy Award shows, and I said, can you believe the fact that this guy was receiving an award and he had recorded the most raunchy song? Like, like it was just raunchy. I mean, it was so godless. And he got up there and he took and he says, the first thing I want to thank is the Lord Jesus Christ for his love and his grace for me. I said, what a hypocrite. And I was expecting the artist friend of mine to laugh and go, no. You know what he did? He hung his head and he goes, that's just like me. Oh. Hmm. How easy we forget our need for grace and how easy it is for us to judge others. I find it nearly impossible to forgive other people because I have a such small view of how much I've been forgiven. So let me give you a little self-righteous test. How do you judge? I would challenge you not to gossip. To say anything negative about anyone in other words, you know what gossip is? Gossip is you confessing somebody else's sin to the people that don't need to hear the confession. But we feel so good when we gossip because what we're really saying is, look what they did. Look, I would never do that. I would never fall in that trap. Second, don't ever complain about anything, but in everything, give thanks. Because what is complaining? Complaining is really saying, I don't deserve this. I'm a better person than this. I shouldn't have to wait in line at Kroger. You should know how to use the machine by now. Like, don't blame shift. Don't blame. Don't make excuses for anything. Own your mistakes and confess your sins. 
Are you kidding me? I'm not going to confess my sins. I'd rather blame you for my sins. That's self-righteous. Don't defend yourself. But acknowledge where the critique that people give you is accurate and say thank you. Don't boast about anything. Nothing in yourself. But choose only to boast in God's grace in your life. If those things become difficult for you, it may be because you're self-righteous. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus gave us a parable. He said two men went up to the temple to pray, and one was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. And remember who the Pharisees are. They're the religious leaders of the day. They were people that teach others about God. And the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, that I'm not a robber, that I'm not an evildoer, I'm not an adulterer, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast, and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who, who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exhausted. exalted. He understood his need for grace, but he also understood others' needs for grace. See, when we pause long enough to understand our self-righteousness and our need to humble ourselves, then it actually puts anger back in the right place. Because anger really is this beautiful emotion that awakens us, not to use our anger against others, but to use our anger for others. Chip Dodd, in his book, The Voices of the Heart, he talks about anger. He says that authentic anger is a caring feeling. Think about that. It's telling us that something matters. In fact, the energy of compassion is rooted in anger. The desire to make the pain we feel and see come to an end. Anger exposes what we value. And we express our willingness to do what it requires to reach that value. It allows us to stay with our values and take sides and even die for what we believe in. He even goes on to say, and this may seem outrageous to you, that if anger is what awakens me to the values in my life for you, and anger awakens me to fight for you, then maybe other words for anger are words like hope or longing, wishing, wanting, needing, hunger, thirst. And that's why many people say anger is the most vulnerable of all emotions. Because anger is my almost my inability to not let what I value on the inside express itself on the outside. It's so vulnerable because you see what I really value when my anger comes out. <clears throat> the whole book of Jonah ended with Jonah and his toxic anger. His anger for himself and at the people of Nineveh. But that doesn't have to end for us. How do we deal with self-righteousness? If self-righteousness is, is the pride in what you do, then how do we do something without doing anything? Like it's almost impossible to touch. 
like if we're going to work on not being self-righteous, that seems like a very self-righteous kind of act. It's almost saying, I'm so proud of the fact that I'm so humble. Well, you've probably got a problem there. What if we can't? What if we don't, we can't do anything with it? What if in fact that I find that I am powerless? Have you ever gone to the ocean and stood with your kids and said, let's stop the waves? And you play the game of we're going to stop the waves and you hold hands and you play this little game and everybody laughs, you get knocked down and everything. But as an adult, you realize it's just a game because we're not going to stop the wave. What if that's us with self-righteousness? Is that we have no power to stop it? What if that's true about many things in our lives? I don't have the power. That I have to go to the one who has power. Do you know that Jesus is the only one that has ever lived that is justified in his anger toward you? And yet he didn't use his anger toward you. He used his anger for you. In other words, Jesus' passion was for you. That by his stripes that we are healed. It was Christ who went to the cross and he paid the price of my self-righteousness. He paid for all my sins so that I could be clean and not just clean, but so he could give me the gift of his Holy Spirit. He cleaned me up so he could fill me up with his very presence so that he could have fellowship with me. And if Jesus did that for me, if he's the one that has the power and I have no power, then maybe my journey of self-righteousness is to stop boasting in myself and simply boast in him. Maybe the heart of maturity here at Midtown isn't self-sufficiency. Maybe it's complete dependency. Maybe it's walking away from me having enough to me realizing I don't have enough and walking to the one that has enough. And it's that simple. And that it's that difficult. How much do you need the Lord? Like how desperate are you for him to come in and wake you up? Maybe it's as simple as coming and asking him, be with me in this. I was reading Steve Brown. If you've been around for a while, you know I'm a fan of Steve Brown. He's an author, but he's also uh, kind of a modern-day sage, has a radio show, uh, Key Life, and uh, he's just kind of this irreverent, uh, I don't know how to describe him. Uh, he is a bearded Yoda, and uh, who smokes pipes constantly, and I say pipes plural, it is true. I think he's the guy that says never do anything in es excess, and he would say excess would have a pipe in each hand, not just a pipe all day long. And he, <laughs> he talked about self-righteousness. He says, what so what to do? And he says, I don't know. I wish I had a system to give you or a 10-step program to deal with self-righteousness. There is no system. I wish I could give you a word-for-word -word prayer to fix it. There isn't such a prayer. I wish I could tell you how to be really humble. To be honest with you, I have no idea. He says, wait, maybe that is the solution. Maybe the solution isn't in anything you do, but in what you know. Maybe the solution isn't in the discipline of making yourself less self-righteous. It's in the recognition that we are. The secret to getting better might be to simply recognize how difficult it is to get better and go to Jesus with it. 
And then listen to this last part. Go to Jesus with it. And then tell everybody that you know that you've been with him and tell him why you went there. Maybe that's the secret. And that's what I pray for you and for me. Why are you so angry? Would you have the courage to ask yourself why? Are you angry at the world? Are you angry for the world? Are you angry because you are reveling in self-righteousness? Are you angry because God has made you fully righteous? Maybe both. Let's go to Jesus and worship him. Lord, thank you for the emotion of anger, and Father, forgive us for our self-righteousness. Lord, we have such a tremendous capacity to judge others, to elevate ourselves. We are so eager to build a resume that proves ourselves, that impresses others, that elevates us above the people around us. We are so resistant, Lord, to the humility of confessing our need for you, confessing our own weaknesses, confessing, Lord, our lack of ability to. Those things don't come natural for us. Lord, we love to gossip and get offended when others gossip about us. We love to blame rather than take responsibility. We love to complain, Father, and to cry out, not fair when it comes to us, but not with others. Lord, we are people that revel in our self-righteousness and have forgotten that your grace sets us free to be angry for others as you were angry for us. And so, Lord, we pray. We pray that you would forgive us for how we are so self-centered that we have forgotten the needs of the poor, that, Lord, we have forgotten the needs of the widows, the aliens in our community that are disadvantaged, those that suffer injustice. We are so consumed with our own lives, Father, that we have forgotten how to be angry for others that need us. And we pray, Lord, and come to you and confess our need. We confess to you like we are Jonah. Anger has hijacked us and has convinced us that we can be angry at others instead of being angry for others. And so, Jesus, we pray that your grace for us would heal us. Your forgiveness of us would heal us. Your forgiveness would allow us vulnerability and openness so that we can move toward each other with forgiveness. That we can move toward each other with grace. We can actually be angry with hope for one another. And build a community, Lord, that is restorative and beautiful and reflective of the grace that you poured out on us. Lord, let us not miss that. I know, Father, that Jonah ended with him being angry. But let, not, let that not be our story. Let our story end with you rejoicing over us with singing. And like we said, we are dancing to your song.
Christ's name we pray.